Hey, welcome back to That's Helpful with me, Ed Stott. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while now, you'll know how much a fan I am of intuitive eating. I was just saying to my guest today before we hopped on that I feel like the enlightened one. And whenever I hear somebody still dieting, I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You've got to hear about intuitive eating. If you haven't heard about it before, you should totally go and listen to my episode with its co-creator, Evelyn Triboli. Uh, it's often referred to as an anti-diet, and it offers a way out of the toxic diet cycle into a healthy relationship with food where it doesn't consume all of your thoughts and you have way more time to actually think about the important things in life. One of the big concerns, though, with so many people, and for me too, when I first started to hear about intuitive eating, is that when you allow yourself to eat what your body wants and what you want, you will disregard nutrition and only eat cake and cheese. Well, that's where gentle nutrition comes in. And Rachel Hartley is an expert in it. She's a certified intuitive eating counselor, and she's written a book on it called Gentle Nutrition. Rachel, thank you so much. This is one of my favorite topics. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So Rachel, can you just give us a brief rundown on what intuitive eating actually is? Sure. So I like to describe intuitive eating as an approach to eating where the focus is in on improving your well-being rather than manipulating your weight and trying to lose weight. You know, so much of the nutrition and, and just eating advice that we have out there is all really grounded in this assumption that smaller size, that losing weight is better, being thin is better, um, both, you know, socially and also from a a medical standpoint. And so intuitive eating, it is this approach to eating a series of principles that help you really get back in touch with your body to help guide eating choices in a way that, again, improves your well-being. And this isn't woo-woo, is it? Tell me about what the science says um, about what dieting does to our bodies and why it's probably not the best thing to be doing. Yeah, no, I'm glad you say that because I, I think sometimes people hear intuitive eating and I know I certainly had this initial reaction myself where I was like, intuitive eating, this feels very like <laughs> crystals and incense and like, which is all lovely, no shade on crystals and incense, that's fun. But um, yeah, there are actually actually is, you know, not just uh, science uh, and research showing the benefits of intuitive eating. There's a lot of science and research. Um, actually, I would argue even more science and research showing the harms of dieting and how that affects one's physical health and their men- mental well-being. Um, you know, for starters, we know that dieting, well, first of all, you think about like as I love to point out to people, you know, one of the basic tenets of good nutrition is eating enough food, getting enough, you know, calories and carbs and fat and protein. And so dieting basically by definition is restricting your body of of adequate nutrition. 
you know, we know that for all the money that has been spent on weight loss research, examining all these different weight loss interventions, there has not been a single study out there that shows more than a, a very, very small number of people can lose weight and keep it off over five years, more than a, a very, very small amount of weight. So, so we know that dieting doesn't actually uh, follow through with the promises of sustained weight loss. And and in, in the attempt to lose weight, you know, we see where it is something that diminishes people's self-confidence. It, um, it puts people at risk for eating disorders. You know, we don't know who has that genetic susceptibility to an eating disorder until they diet and it can set off this lifelong, um, you know, uh, uh, mental health condition um, that, that they're struggling with. Uh, we also know weight cycling. So the, the, sometimes people refer to this as yo-yoing, but the up and down that people experience uh, when they lose weight, gain it back, that is also something that has negative health consequences. So there's there's actually even been studies that suggest that um, most of the uh, health uh, consequences that we associate with, and I'm using my air quotes here, with obesity actually may be due to um, the, the weight cycling, the, the chronic yo-yoing that happens when people lose weight and gain it back. Not because they're, you know, they don't have willpower or because there's some broken uh, human being, but because diets themselves just are not sustainable and your body is going to protect you from the malnutrition uh, that, that, you know, that they impose. Yeah. And I think that's one of the complete revelations of, you know, taking on the intuitive eating approach is that food is not something that you can't that you shouldn't trust yourself around you know it's this thing that's vital to fuel our bodies um it's a brilliant source of energy and something to be enjoyed and, and diet culture robs us of all of that doesn't it yeah no I, i'm glad you say that because i i realize i'm I was talking all about the sort of physical consequences of dieting, but you know, the just the fact that it robs us of this thing in our life that, yeah. that should be pleasurable. You know, we were designed to get pleasure from food. We as human beings, uh, we evolved to connect to over food and dieting robs us of that social connection. It robs us of pleasure. And so there is this massive hit to you know, our, um, yeah, just our emotional health and our psychological health when we're restricting food. Mm, absolutely. And so um, you, your book is called Gentle Nutrition, and that's one um, part of intuitive eating that I guess helps people um, understand that this isn't just like letting go or there's this perception that it's like giving up around food, right? So what is gentle nutrition? Right. So gentle nutrition is basically just evidence-based nutrition. Um, but again, the focus is on well-being, on physical and mental health, and not the number on the scale. So mm -hmm. I, I like to distinguish it in a couple of different ways. Again, the, the focus on well-being versus weight. Um, other things I like to point out about gentle nutrition is that it is when we use nutrition in a flexible way rather than a rigid way. So um, mm -hmm. oftentimes, uh, you know, we, we, 
I think diet culture makes us obsess over each individual meal, each individual snack. You know, it, it makes you feel like you have to be eating perfectly all of the time while gentle nutrition leaves space for the fact that like life happens and we go through seasons of life where maybe nutrition might take higher or lower priority. Uh, gentle nutrition is also focused on the adding versus subtracting. So I, I think like the, the traditional approach to nutrition is like, these are bad foods. We need to eliminate these foods mm-hmm. or we need to minimize these foods. It kind of looks at food in these uh, hierarchies where foods at the bottom of the hierarchy are avoided and then foods at the top of the hierarchy are uplifted. And gentle nutrition um, is really focused in on um, not so much like a limit, like, yes, there are foods that might have less nutritional value that might have less vitamins and minerals and, and nutrients. That doesn't mean we, we focus on eliminating them. We focus on adding in these lovely nutrient rich foods and, and uh, not the restrictive aspect of eliminating um, foods or, or um, taking them out. Um, Yeah. And I I think the other thing I I love to point out about gentle nutrition is that it's really individual. Uh, Every single human being has their own unique nutrition needs, their own unique relationship with food, their own history with food. And so gentle nutrition is something that looks different for different people. There's no like one size fits all of like, this is what gentle nutrition is. Um, You know, what gentle nutrition might look like for someone who's I don't know, 70 years old and has a few pre-existing um, or has some uh, chronic health conditions like diabetes or heart disease, you know, gentle nutrition might look different for them versus, I don't know, a college student who is like going to school and also like working a job versus somebody who is a, um, you know, a pregnant person. Um, you know, we all have our own um our, our own health goals and our own sort of like unique stuff and gentle nutrition can adapt to, to that. And so you mentioned there, um, like moving away from the weight on the scales as being a metric for health. I guess for a lot of people that's scary, right? Because it for so long, it's like the only thing that we've had as like an outside measure for whether or not we consider ourselves to be healthy. I mean, I absolutely agree that that is so not true. Um, but, but what factors should we be paying more attention to rather than the weight on the scales with a gentle nutrition approach in terms of whether or not we're giving our body everything that it needs? Yeah, I love that question. And I, I appreciate that you pointed out like, you know, in a way weight gives us this metric where like, obviously it's not a very accurate Mm. metric or measurement of our health, but of course, as human beings who are naturally, uh, you know, struggling with our own fears of mortality or perhaps some uh, health anxieties, like, of course, we're going to want to look to something as like a sign of like, hey, you're doing things right. Your weight is okay. You're, mm. you know, um, certifiably healthy. Like, of course, or, you know, um, of course, someone that like, you know, doctors or health professionals, when they're working with all the uncertainties around health, of course, they're going to want to look to these like very clear, uh, you know, again, air quote, clear metrics, but 
Yeah, unfortunately, um, well, fortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> I guess, um, it, it, you know, it's weight doesn't give us that that information. Weight is not a measurement of health. It's a, a measurement of our relationship with gravity in the moment. Um, I think other things that mm. uh, are more accurate measurements of health, well, and I should caveat this with everybody's definition of health is different. So it's really hard to say like, this is what I, this is what health looks like. Um, but how you're feeling day to day. So energy levels would be one thing to, to look at. Um, digestion, uh, we can look at other like laboratory values. So, um, you know, your cholesterol, your blood sugar levels, your vitamin levels, uh, those are all helpful metrics. Um, and of course, like, just our behaviors, you know, uh, are you, um, things like smoking, physical activity, eating fruits and vegetables, getting adequate sleep. Um, these are all other metrics of health that we can utilize. So if we want to start introducing a bit of gentle nutrition into our lives and we want to kind of step away from that diet culture narrative or, you know, certain things we might have used to kind of measure the quote unquote healthiness of our food before, you know, like macros or calories or, you know, um, specific like portion sizes and that kind of thing. How can we start to introduce gentle nutrition into our into our lives? Yeah, so I actually have a um, a little hierarchy of nutrition needs that I um, that I created that I love to use with clients to help them show how they can integrate gentle nutrition into their life. I find it's a really helpful way for people to conceptualize nutrition in a, a non diet way. Um, so I, I think most people are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, or who've taken like a intro level psych course. You you probably remember that, yeah. but. Um, but no, so so at the bottom of my hierarchy, um, what I have is adequacy. So I, I think, you know, people don't really think about adequacy or like eating enough food as nutrition. But if you mm -hmm. think about like nutrition over the course of, of humanity, like traditionally, like that has been the most important part of, of our nutritional status is whether we are eating enough food. So, you know, mm -hmm. one way, uh, you know, and I know it's not like the fun kind of sexy piece of nutrition, but one way that, that people can start focusing in on nutrition is focusing in on eating enough food, like eating mm -hmm. regularly throughout the day, having regular meals, having um, regular snacks, um, honoring their hunger, like that is nutrition. Um, from there, I, I like to think about balance. So balance in terms of getting fat, uh, fat and protein and carbs and, and, you know, ideally some produce at most of our meals. So, you know, making sure when you look at your plate that most of the time it's got different food groups on it, that it's got all the different food groups because um, when we're eliminating food groups, we're likely um, causing, you know, we're likely inadequate in, in various macronutrients, but also we're missing out on the vitamins and minerals that that food group contains. So mm. um, that's sort of the, the next step up on the hierarchy. Um, from there, I like to talk to clients about variety. So, you know, if you're someone who like you're eating enough food, most of the time you're getting like, you know, fat and protein and carbs and like a bunch of different food groups on your plate, like cool. 
next thing you can think about is, okay, how can I improve the variety of foods that I'm eating? Because again, different foods contain different nutrients. So, you know, when we're getting lots of different bright and colorful fruits and vegetables, getting, you know, whole grains and, and, um, you know, some starchy vegetables and like just getting different new, uh, food sources uh, of those different groups, like that improves our nutritional status. And, um, and finally, at the top of the hierarchy, I have individual foods. So for different people, um, this might you know look differently, but how can we utilize individual foods? I, I hesitate to use that. I feel like most people recognize the word superfoods and I don't really mm-hmm. like that food because I think it's kind of silly. Yeah. But we can utilize um, specific nutrient-rich foods for people's specific health concerns. So Perhaps that looks like um, increasing soluble fiber intake for someone who has um, high cholesterol levels, or perhaps that is um, looking at getting lots of antioxidant-rich uh, berries, and for someone who has a family history of dementia, of Alzheimer's. So, so it looks different for different people, but that's again, that's where that that individual food piece um, shows up. And um, yeah, I, I think that's the part that. Often oftentimes gets concentrated the most um, in nutrition. But when we're overlooking the basics, like, are you eating enough? Are you getting like a balance? Are you getting a decent variety in? You know, it doesn't matter how many of these you know, nutrient rich foods you're including if, if you're, if you don't have the basics. So, um, yeah, so hopefully that's a helpful concept to have a little blog post, I think called hierarchy of, of nutrition needs, um, that, that goes into that in a little bit more depth. And of course it's in my book as well. Yeah, fabulous. I'll pop a link to that in the show notes too. And so I guess one of the things that, um, people, or like diet culture has us believe is that unless we are absolutely starving, keeling over with hunger, hangry, you know, just cannot deal, that is the only signal that we need to eat more. But in fact, if we tune into our bodies, there are in fact a lot of other signals that potentially it's time to eat again. Can you talk me through some of those other signals that aren't just a rumbly stomach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the most common ones is actually anxiety. So um, which makes sense when you think about hanger, like totally people have experienced <laughs> hanger before, but yeah, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. Like I know for me in the mornings, I don't usually experience stomach hunger. Like I usually don't feel that empty feeling in my stomach. Yeah. But if I wake up and I like go to the computer and I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, get some emails done before I eat breakfast. And then I like get wrapped up in tasks and I've gone too long you know, I'll get to this point where I'm like, oh my gosh, why do I feel like I'm jumping out of my skin? Like, why do I feel yep. so anxious about the day? And it's like, oh yeah, I haven't had breakfast <laughs> yet. So, so it's really funny. I kind of jokingly with a lot of my clients refer to like, you know, their meals and snacks is like taking their anxiety meds because it really does. <laughs> um, working with a lot of clients in, in eating disorder recovery and with anxiety disorders, like it's such a noticeable difference. Like mm-hmm. I even have a, I call it a hang, uh, hungry brain when they come in with that, that anxious, uh, hungry mentality. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's one big one. Um, sometimes people will notice a dip in their energy levels. I also notice, uh, you know, another common 
common sign of hunger is headaches or just like mm-hmm. starting to get like a little bit of a headache there. You know, obviously it can get more intense than people can get severe migraines or people can get really like quite stomach ill from, from hunger without necessarily, necessarily identifying like an empty feeling in their belly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I think the other thing I would point out is like, sometimes just thinking about food, that can be a sign of hunger. Yeah. Like when you get to that place where you're maybe trying to still get some work done and you're like, mm, like snacks, like mm, <laughs> what am I going to have for dinner? You know, it may just be that you're excited for dinner. Or it may just be that you're taste hungry or, you know, um, just like stressed out and looking for a distraction. Like those are all possibilities, but you know, if it's been a little while since your last date and you're thinking a lot about food, like you're probably hungry. A hundred percent. So one of the other big concerns for a lot of people, um, you know, like in taking on the intuitive eating approach and the gentle nutrition, where we're actually listening to what our body wants and tuning in much more, as I mentioned, it's like that concern that you're just going to quote unquote, like go off the rails and you're just going to only want to eat like great lumps of cheese and big slices of cake and you're just never going to want to eat a vegetable again. Tell me why that's not necessarily true in the long term. Yeah. You know, I, when people ask that, I'm like, well, you, you might for a period. Of yeah. Time. Right. That is certainly like that happens. <laughs> like people go through a honeymoon period and, and I'll yep. add, you know, depending on someone's uh, history with food, their, their dieting history, like that honeymoon period, it can feel like, it can feel like a long time. Um, mm. I, you know, especially for people who've had these very traumatic histories with, with dieting. So, um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a phase that needs to be rushed and it's not something that lasts forever. Yeah. So, um, sometimes I'll, I'll jokingly, like when someone says like, Oh my gosh, I'm just going to eat ice cream forever. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, what if I told you to like, that you have to eat ice cream for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and all of your snacks. Like, how would you feel about that? They're like, well, I mean, that sounds like, you know, maybe a fun day, but not even that. It's like, you know, like, no, that doesn't sound very appealing. Uh, You know, we as human beings, like we are hardwired, like we want a variety of foods. And the, the reality is when like, they're like, we all are going to have favorite foods. Like I love ice cream. I love cheese. Like I just Mm -hmm. dairy in general is a favorite of mine. (laughs) And there is no, like, I will always like that. That will always be something that I I gravitate to. And like when food is off the pedestal, like when I know that I can have ice cream at any point that when I know that I am integrating like fun cheeses into like my meals and that, you know, that I always have it in the house, it doesn't feel so heightened. It's not a yeah. pedestal. Mm-hmm. So by, by normalizing those foods, you know, we take those foods off the pedestal and you're able to, um, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to eat them in a way that feels less chaotic. You know, it does give you this opportunity to build skills, competently eating those, uh, those fear foods. 
that's definitely true in my experience. You know, when I was completely in the grips of diet culture and totally obsessed with food because of that restriction making you obsess about certain foods, like, I mean, like dreaming about foods, like planning every meal, just constantly thinking about what the next meal was going to be and then thinking about what I was going to have um, like on the weekends and those kinds of things. But now it consumes so much less of my thoughts uh, to the point where I don't even really have those like, oh, I would love to eat that or, oh, that would be amazing right now because all of it is available. And it's so counterintuitive because you think once you, you know, really just let go of all those rules eventually you'll you'll go absolutely wild but you eventually you just don't because like you say it loses its grip on you because you can always have it right 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 exactly yep and I know that feels oh my goodness like so impossible and I know there's probably at least one if not many people out there being like wait 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 but you have not seen me around like you know (laughs) you have not seen me around pizza and like I I know that like it can feel really impossible um and I, I should say I know that if someone out there has experienced binge eating disorder or actively yeah. struggles with it, you know, yes, sometimes it is a little bit more structured reintroducing a food so that you're not, um, you know, not feeling quite so overwhelmed with it. Like, you know, when we're reintroducing foods with a client, we're thinking about like, okay, how can you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but not like have a panic attack? Over yeah, this? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to mean like, you intuitive eating doesn't always have to look like, oh my gosh, I'm just filling my house with like all the pizza and ice cream and whatever in the world. Like, you know, maybe it does for some people that that can be what it looks like, but but not everyone. Yeah, totally. And so how important is it that we let go of this idea of being quote unquote perfect around food or having the perfect diet? Oh my goodness, so important because there is no perfect diet, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I I use the like I know I've I've talked to clients before and used the example of you know if there was some sort of machine that like I know it takes like a prick of your blood and it's able to tell you exactly what the, the healthiest diet is for you to eat. Like these are the best foods for you, and this is what you know percent of carbs and percent of fat and percent of protein is like ideal for you. Like, okay, that's cool information. And that certainly could be useful in in thinking about how do I want to craft my patterns of eating. But like that also like food isn't the only aspect of health. You know, Mm. if, if me eating in this quote unquote perfect way, if me following the rules from this, you know, perfect diet printout was something that was causing me to be stressed. If it was something that was making me socially isolate because I wasn't able to go out and eat with my friends or, you know, have like, you know, wine and cheese at at the, you know, on the weekends, like, you know, that, like, that would be something that would actively harm my health because mental health is physical health. So, you know, there is no perfect way to eat. Um, Yes, there may be some guidelines, there may be some, you know, certain people might feel good eating certain ways, um, or in, um, or having like a certain pattern of eating that that's absolutely accurate. But like, yeah, there isn't one right way to eat, because we are not like, 
I know we're not machines. Like we have, mm. uh, we have to, any way that we, what am I trying to say? Um, when we're trying to eat in a way that improves our health, we cannot separate our mental health from our physical health. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so this kind of um, leads us to one of your guidelines. You have eight guidelines in the books that you recommend for gentle nutrition. And one of them is that the healthiest choice isn't almost the most nutritious choice, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I like to dis- distinguish um, the, the difference between like healthy choice and a nutritious choice. So a nutritious choice, like, yes, there are foods that are going to contain more vitamins, fiber, minerals, they're going to have more nutritional value. Like that that is just like a fact, like, you know, there are some foods that do not have a lot of nutrition in it and that's okay. But, you know, that's not necessarily the same thing as a food being healthy or not. I, you know, we, we, when we say that um, a food is healthy, we're taking into account like someone's individual needs. So you know, I'll use the example of, of sugar, you know, sugar doesn't, you know, it's, it's tasty. It's lovely when we, you know, use it in sweets and, and desserts and, you know, even like savory foods, like it's, it's a lovely, lovely thing. And mm. is it providing a lot of nutritional value? No, but, mm. um, there are situations where sugar is like one of the healthiest things that you could eat. So if you have someone who has a low blood sugar and, you know, someone with diabetes, especially like what's the quickest way to get their blood sugar up and, and um, make sure that they're not getting hypoglycemic. It is sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have like runners, for example, I I know, um, you know, right now uh, me and my husband were training for a half marathon that we signed up for with friends. And for me, one of the things that's really helped, like, you know, those little, uh, oh my goodness, what are they called? Like the little like gels, gels or gummies. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like those are great because I don't really feel very good like running on a full stomach. Like there's a mm-hmm. reason why you see athletes like using these gels um, because they are healthy to fuel the physical activity that they're doing. Does it, you know, is it giving them tons of, I don't know, like vitamin A and fiber? No, but mm. it is a healthy food for that situation. So um, yeah, so so health, you know, it encompasses a lot of other factors, again, like the situation, you know, finances. So, um, you know, like people like I, you know, the reality is at least definitely here in the States, like food insecurity is very real. And, and mm-hmm. so telling someone to eat like very expensive uh, foods that, that maybe are nutritious, um, that might not be healthy for them financially. Um, obviously I could go on a whole other tangent about making <laughs> nutritious foods more accessible, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. And, and of course, again, like our, our, emotional connection to food is part of, um, is part of our health. So, um, you know, if the dessert doesn't contribute anything to you nutritionally, okay, maybe it contributes socially by connecting with people that you're enjoying it with, or maybe it just adds pleasure and joy to your life. And, and that's enough. That's okay. Mm, and so, um, one of the, uh, ideas I guess is that we are tuning into our bodies and listening to what we want and you touched on it a little bit earlier when you said um maybe you're just taste hungry what about this concept of eating when we're not hungry 
when we recognize that that is what it is, when we might not necessarily be filling ourselves up like in the stomach, but we're filling ourselves up in a different way. Right. Um, so intuitive eating sometimes will get interpreted in this very hunger fullness diet kind of way. Mm. Um, I remember, especially when I was new to intuitive eating, and I think a lot of the practitioners out there perhaps had like a less uh, maybe nuanced uh, view of it, but you would often hear this like, yeah, intuitive eating. It's like, you know, eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. And it's as mm. simple as that. And I, I still sometimes see that, you know, quoted in, in pieces. And yes, like intuitive eating teaches you to t- uh, tap into hunger and fullness cues as one source of information guiding you to like when, um, when to eat, but it's not the only source of information you can utilize. So um, for example, uh, you mentioned taste hunger. I Mm. I taste hunger. I equate this to like, you know, if you go out to eat at a restaurant, you've just had like this really yummy meal and you're feeling super satisfied. And then, you know, they bring over the dessert menu and you're like, oh, creme brulee. (laughs) I have not had creme brulee in ages. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Like you're not physically hungry, but the idea of that, the taste of it sounds really, really, really pleasurable. Mm. And so that that's taste hunger. Um, there's also emotional hunger where Mm -hmm. perhaps you're not physically hungry, but the idea of food, you're, you're looking to food to help like comfort or soothe a, um, uncomfortable emotion. So we can look to food as a source of like, whether it's distracting or again, soothing, or actually sometimes even like heightening an emotion um, that like, especially a pleasurable one, like uh, joy or happiness, like emotion, uh, uh, emotional hunger is another piece of hunger. And I, I like to tell my clients, like, it is not wrong to eat when you're not physically hungry. And can we just try to be intentional with it rather than impulsive about it? Mm -hmm. So like, for example, impulsive emotional eating that might look like, um, I just, this really bad day at work and like, I'm super stressed out and I came home and I like opened up the refrigerator, pulled out a tub of ice cream and I'm like eating it over the sink, like, you know, with a spoon from the tub, like you know, it's a very impulsive sort of experience, Mm -hmm. but a more intentional experience might be, you know, coming home after this really rough day and being like, oh yeah, ice cream sounds amazing. That was an awful day. I'm going to like, you know, put some ice cream in a bowl and like put on my, you know, favorite kind of comfort TV show and, you know, comfy clothes and change into my sweatpants and like curl up on the couch with a blanket and just like enjoy my ice cream and relax a little bit. Like Mm. in both cases, you're having the ice cream, but I, you know, one sounds a bit more uh, comforting than the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I guess like one side of gentle nutrition is thinking about um, what your body wants, what your body needs. And the other side, I guess, is like thinking about how things make you feel after you've eaten them, right? How can we introduce that um, into this process to kind of guide the gentle nutrition? Yeah, I think that one can be really tricky too, because Mm. I think people expect like, when we say, how does food make you feel or foods that make you feel good? I think people sometimes expect this like very, um, 
very like meditative, mindful experience where they're like, mm, like broccoli feels good for me. Like I feel, <laughs> or like, I don't know, just like magical <laughs> amounts of like energy that they're going to get from a yep, food. Yep, yep. It, it's not always that clear. Um, that's where, you know, I, I think remembering that how you think, like how you perceive a food can impact how you physically feel after eating it. So if you're convinced yeah. that gluten is going to make you sick or that, um, you know, that you can't tolerate fried foods or whatever, you are more likely to experience a physical reaction to it. That, that doesn't mean it's all in your head, but like, you know, that physical reaction is real, but the stress that you're experiencing in eating a food can impact how you feel, um, you know, after, after eating that. So, um, but I think like if you zoom out over the, the, you know, the, the looking at patterns of eating, you know, when you're eating enough food, when you're eating consistently throughout the day, so it's not like hunger, that's actually the cause of your, your symptoms, just sort of tuning in to like, I don't know, like what usually feels good for me? Like, do I feel good when I'm having, I don't know, like more carbs in the morning and having a really nice kind of carb heavy breakfast. Maybe that's something that helps you feel really energized. Or maybe you notice that, um, I don't know, like one of my clients was realizing that um, her stomach symptoms, she was actually eating like way too much raw fruit and vegetable. And when she ate Been less there. fruits and vegetable, yeah, <laughs> like, there is such thing as Been too there. much fiber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she realized like by tuning in and like experimenting, like, Ooh, yeah. Like, even though this is conventional nutrition advice, it, it don't feel good for me. So yeah. so yeah. So I think it's like patterns of eating that you can get curious about and, um, yeah, use that information to, to help guide eating choices rather than like, you know, dictate them very rigidly. Mm, and I guess one of the big ones for me when I started intuitive eating um, was I realized how much better I felt when I was eating um, the full fat alternatives rather than like the diet foods, mm-hmm. like the light mayonnaise or the light butter or the light dressing. When I actually ate the stuff with the fat in, I wanted less of it and it felt so much better. And I know that's one of your guidelines, isn't it? Not to fear fats. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I had like a similar experience where I was like, oh, like I don't feel like horrible midday. No. I actually like eat more fat. Like that yep. actually is what feels good. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, yep. <laughs> no, fat has gotten like, you know, it gets sort of a, a bad reputation. I think there's still a little bit of that hangover from like the 80s, 90s, low fat diet craze. Um, but yeah, fat is satiating. It helps food stay in your stomach longer. Um, you know, it is that that satisfaction factor. It helps us absorb nutrients. So um, yeah, fat is a really lovely thing to include. And so this all can help us um, relate more positively to our bodies. And you talk about this difference between body respect and body kindness. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Yep. Um, I I was actually just having this uh, conversation with a client today, but I think 
sometimes the message and, and sometimes an unintended message around intuitive eating and, you know, health at every size and some of the body positivity stuff that you see online is this like, you have to love your body. You have to feel mm. good about your body. Like in order to practice intuitive eating, you have to give up every single desire for weight loss. And I just, I don't know, in this fat phobic world we live in, I, I just don't know that that's you know possible for most people and certainly not people who live in bigger bodies and experience, um, you know, social stigma or, mm. you know, uh, uh, medically or like medical oppression. Like, you know, I, I just think that, that asking people, uh, or telling people that they have to love their body. Um, and, and I should say, I think this, like, this is something that really I've, I've learned from a lot of um, fat activists who, who are doing this work before me, you know, it, it can make intuitive eating feel very off limits um, when mm. we approach body positivity as a command. So when I, I work with clients, we talk about not so much like how, like, how do you love your body? How do you like every, like, you know, every curve or your like stretch marks <laughs> and think they're great, but how can we bring it back to respecting your body and treating it with kindness? Mm. I, I'm sure there are people out there, like, goodness knows there are people that I can think of where I'm like, I don't really like you very much. <laughs> like, I don't think you're cool. I, we don't share the same values. I not a, not a fan of you. I still think that they deserve enough food. I still think that mm -hmm. they deserve pleasurable food. I still don't think that they deserve to like starve themselves or be in an embattled relationship with food. I don't think they deserve to like punish themselves with exercise. Like that is not something I might want other negative things for them. Um, because you know, I'm a human and we can be petty, you know, not about that, but not that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thinking of body respect and body kindness as like, you know, I, I like to think of respect as like really the basics, like getting enough food, like getting a variety of food, not harming your body. And then I like to think of body kindness as like maybe just like non-essentials, but like still really like nice and kind and important. So, you know, integrating um, pleasure and, um, you know, a, a gentle nutrition, I think is a, a way to practice body kindness. <laughs> mm, absolutely. I really like that. And I think it's very helpful because it just seems so inapproachable, you know, when people talk about like body positivity and just like feeling great in your body all the time. It's just, it feels unachievable. So we don't even strive to be a little bit kinder to our bodies. Whereas I think that coming to it from a place of respect is a much more achievable and understandable place to come yeah. from. I really like that. Good. I'm glad that connects. I think that that's a concept that really opens up intuitive eating to um, a lot of a lot of people who feel like it's not for them. Totally, a hundred percent. And so, if people are you thinking, yeah, okay, this sounds a lot better than those shitty diets I've been on my entire life that don't work and just make me feel crappy. And <laughs> um, what's the one thing you want them to remember about starting to introduce gentle nutrition? Right. Um, I would say, you know, don't rush it. You know, it doesn't mm. have to be your priority. I. I think oftentimes, especially in those early phases of, of uh, intuitive eating, you know, people can have this idea of like, 
gentle nutrition and what it looks like. There's this thought of like, I know once I make peace with food, I'm going to be craving like quinoa and kale salads mm. all the time. And it's like, <laughs> not necessarily. So I, I, you know, I think it's okay to really focus for, it's okay. if like getting adequacy, getting balance at your meals. If that is your initial focus and that may be your focus for a very long time, like mm. that is good enough. Like that those two things that seem so basic and never get talked about in our mainstream nutrition discourse are so incredibly important for health mm -hmm. and are things that like a lot of people are, are missing out on. And it's really, I, I would say it's sort of a, a privilege to be able to think about nutrition beyond these very basic things. So, mm. so keeping in mind that like, it's okay if all you can, you know, start with is just eating enough food, like that is enough, that is okay. Um, gentle nutrition, like having, um, I don't know, having nutrition as a, a goal or uh, as something that you um, intentionally want to engage with, like that doesn't have to be important to you. And like, it might be after, as you're doing some healing, um, have some healing work and, and, uh, making peace with food. Mm, I really think that's true. And like, for me, when I, um, first heard about intuitive eating, you know, I heard about it and then I read the book and then I got more interested in it, but I guess, um, it's a process, right. Of unlearning all that diet culture. And that takes a lot of time. Um, and one of the things that I often think about now, um, we recently had a woman called Madeline door on the podcast and she talks about productivity guilt and that kind of thing. Really interesting. Anyway, she explained this idea of sponge theory. And so the idea, is that sometimes you're going to be the sponge that's soaking up all the information and sometimes you're going to need to be the sponge that gets into action right that starts wringing out all the information and turning it into something and I think sometimes that approach to concepts like intuitive eating that kind of change our mind about some fundamental ideas that we've been taught about food like sometimes you have to spend a little bit longer in that like soaking up phase because it's so different to things that we've heard before that you kind of have to just accept that maybe like listening to this podcast is like one step and then you kind of have to consume that information and kind of sit with that and then you kind of get a bit more information and like before you even go and start trying to um do any of this stuff potentially like just considering it and letting it sit in your brain and marinate is actually a really great first step what do you think about that I love that and I am going to like start using that in my conversations. Amazing. <laughs> I think that is so great. Yeah, especially because like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of times people, when they first learn about intuitive eating, they're almost like, you know, the the mouth to the fire hydrant, like just yeah. like, you know, overflow and getting so much information. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, noticing all these things like, oh my God, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. I'm yeah. doing that wrong. Like, that. And they're so overwhelmed. Like they want to do intuitive eating, you know, quote unquote, right. But, you know, intuitive eating, this process is like, you know, this, this, uh, I don't know, this, it's, it's sort of this process of like slowly letting go of some dieting behaviors, perhaps mm -hmm. while also still like, you know, holding on to dear life for others while also <laughs> like building in new habits and new behaviors with food. Like it's, it, you know, it's a slow process. And so to be able 
to just like take information in, to marinate on it, to like, I don't know, see what pieces connect most with you because Mm. there may be people out there who are, you know, talking about intuitive eating, like, you know, for one, it might be people out there who aren't really like, you know, very nuanced or don't really know know much about it beyond their, their sort of like Instagram education, but also even between really nuanced skilled providers, just sometimes people can explain things in different ways and something might connect to you when it, you know, one person's approach might connect to you. Another person's like, doesn't, and that doesn't mean it's like wrong or right. It's just different approaches and different ways of explaining things. So yeah, it's okay to like, just take information in and think about like, okay, what are some changes that I I can do again that are maybe make me uncomfortable that get me out of my comfort zone, but aren't necessarily like panic attack inducing. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, I think it's really, and I've never really thought about the book before, but it's true, isn't it? Like when we, cause I don't think I came across intuitive eating until I was like, what, 25, I'm 32 now. Uh, and it's definitely been a process. And I think when you've been ingrained in diet culture, it takes time to come out of that. But I definitely think with tools like your book and your resources, it's a, a, an invaluable process for people to go through because it is so good to not be obsessed with dieting. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, yeah, it's a process. It's a slow process and you're allowed to take your time with it. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Rachel. I really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure to chat and I'm so grateful for the vital work that you're doing because I, you know, I absolutely love this and I'm just so grateful to anybody who's spreading this message. So thank you so much for your beautiful work. Well, thank you so much. That really means the world. And I'm, I'm so appreciative of um, being here to chat with your audience. <laughs> Fabulous. Rachel Hartley is a certified intuitive eating counselor and the author of Gentle Nutrition. I'm going to put her link, the link to her book in the show notes, the link to her blog, which has way more information. And some of those great little resources, like Rachel said, you know, if there's little things that particularly chime with you, you're likely going to find specific information on Rachel's blog blog too because she's kind of broken that down there and so I'll put the link in the show notes so you can check it out and where to follow her on social media because if you want an even more digestible little um, snippets of information and you want to break up some of that diet culture BS on your Instagram feed because we know how influential that can be uh, definitely you need to follow Rachel I'll pop all that info in the show notes thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate you if you're enjoying it so far Please leave me a review. You know I love to read them. I've had some beautiful ones and they genuinely make my day. I'm so grateful to you. And if you are joining us for the first time, please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ed Stott and I sincerely hope that's helpful.